Oh, yo, Nathan. Yo, I'm so hyped. Same, man. Finally, I can't wait. I got the tickets. Yep. Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh, shit. I I thought we were going to see the Taylor Swift concert movie. The Eros Tour. I'm a Swifty. Martin Scorsese just dropped the movie, Nevs. I, I was not aware of this. Um, uh, I guess you could still wear the hat. I mean. Yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. You know what? Fuck it. I'm Let's wearing go. it. Let's go. Welcome back to the Real Talk Podcast, episode 107. <sighs> I'm your host, Nathan, and I'm joined by the man himself, Matthew Nevis, to my left. Thank you, thank you. And today, the wait is finally over. Yes. I stared at a screenshot of Leonardo DiCaprio sitting at a table for two years. <laughs> that, was the, that was the frame. Two years I looked at this frame, <laughs> and finally, I have watched Killers of the Flower Moon. Yes. Wow. What a, what a great experience. We got to see this in theaters. Yeah, we uh, saw it together, which is rare for the Real Talk crew. Which, yeah. But this one felt warranted that we had to go see this one together. Oh, absolutely. It was a Thursday night showing. This was the this was the big event. A, lot, a good amount of people were at the theater. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, we saw a three and a half hour long Martin Scorsese film. <laughs> and and I, I haven't been the same since. Oh, man. <laughs> like, this movie is amazing. What a... What a fucking wild ride this is. Um, I guess I guess to start off, what, what was, what is this movie about, Nathan? So this movie, based on a true story mm -hmm. and apparently quite accurate, because Martin Scorsese worked with the Osage all the way through. Yeah. Um, it's about this Osage Nation, um, First Nation people mm -hmm. who, uh, in the early this was like World War One time, right? Because yeah. Leo Leo just came back from World War One in the nineteen twenties. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, before then, uh, um, they were relegated. They their land was stolen, right? And they were relegated this land. They were the compromise was here: take this land in the middle of nowhere that nobody gives a shit about. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it ended up being a big mistake on the government's part, mm -hmm. American government's part, because yeah. that they found out later that that land had oil. Mm -hmm. And then these Osage people became essentially the richest people in the United States. Yep. <laughs> and that's crazy. That sounds like a made up premise, but mm -hmm. it's absolutely real. Mm -hmm. And what's even crazier and disgusting is yes. the, the plot that was formulated to gain back this money and land yeah. through like murders and marrying into families. Yes. And it's just, it's to get like the rights. Just to get some the, of the nastiest yeah. people you've ever imagined. Mm -hmm. And when you watch this film, you wonder how the hell have I not heard this story before? I understand it's based mm -hmm. off a very popular book. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, but this is like, this is an unbelievable like disgusting part of history absolutely that should be talked about more yeah because like i i think the the topic of post-colonialism in movies and stuff we've seen so many versions of that but we've never seen this angle of it before which is really surprising it's actually a a, a nice refreshing take on the subject matter because of how disturbing it is and it showcases that throughout the entire movie and how you know 
corrupt the system was and how it just kind of happened for this long yeah. until something actually happened. Um, I like what you said about like we've never seen this type of before because yeah. I- immediately when this film starts, it like uh, it's kind of Goodfellas-esque in the beginning because right. it, it introduces you to this world. Yes. And, you know, t- typically films are, I- in the past, the, the classic trope is cowboys and natives. Mm-hmm. Cowboys yes. versus natives, right? Yep. And here, it's like they're living together. Mm-hmm. And and those initial scenes when uh, Leo is introduced to the city, yeah. and Leo is the catalyst to, for like us learning about this world, because mm-hmm. he's kind of a fish out of water in the beginning right. here. Yeah. Um, I love that. I love the way they set it up. It's such a unique, like, I don't know, it's such a unique world, and Martin Scorsese does an amazing job of immersing us in it. I feel like these mm-hmm. sets look really lived in, yeah. had a ton of extras. I mean, the town looked so... This looked like a place. This yeah. looked like almost a documentary at times. Yes. It was... Um, it, it, I was really immersed from the beginning, off off rip. I, I was the same way, too. I knew, like, we were going to... First off, this is our first time watching a Scorsese film in theaters. Oh, man. So already, like, you know, him, him introducing the film. It's such a weird experience that was of was, him, like, yeah, talking goosebumps. about it. Putting goosebumps. his... Oh, same. Because he's putting his heart and soul into this into this movie. And I I fully agree with the, the environment. Like, you get into this world and you're just like, wow. Like, it just feels so feels so natural because there's so many movies that try to do it and it just comes off as boring like typical establishing shots versus this interpretation it's just like i don't know i just i i really fucked with it these establishing shots you see here it's like you see so many people that look like they're just living their own lives in it yeah and it's just you just buy into it immediately it's it's also gorgeous shots cinematography gorgeous holy fuck this the 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 cinematography in this film is amazing It, it doesn't feel like it's flashy it's it's just showing you how it is but it also has a reason why these images are shown to you that way like I can always, I'll always remember the the fire shot with De Niro in the in the as a blurred image. Oh man, that's that's a beautiful shot. Oh my that's, god, that that blurred fire shot. Yeah, um, kind of reminds me of that shot in Raiders. Yeah, remember kinda. that fire shot in Raiders. Yeah, I thought about that. Um, but that that shot was so beautiful because that and shot also illustrated his character and how manipulative and how corrupt he is. Yeah. It's like you don't even know, even if you watch this movie on mute, like every single shot in it tells you the story very straightforward and you still understand it. You're 100% right. Uh, I know the the cinematographer uh, for this film um, is the same guy who shot um, Barbie, actually. Get the fuck out of here. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yo, true cinematographer. <laughs> I've been trying to find his name. Uh, I, was I know that, that um, one of the writers is Eric Roth, who we've talked about various films he's written before. He wrote The Irishman. He wrote Curious Case of Benjamin Button. He wrote, famously, oh, wow. he wrote Forrest Gump as well. Wow. So he's worked on a ton of classic movies. So it's it's not a surprise that the dialogue in this film fucking rocks. Yeah. It and really Hit. This this script definitely went through some changes. Yeah. Uh, the original draft of the script was centered around um, Jesse Plemons' character. Oh! Who was supposed to be DiCaprio. So DiCaprio wow. was going to play the FBI agent, and this was going to kind of be a whodunit mystery. Yeah. Um, 
But I, I think Scorsese kind of said in, in some of his interviews that that felt like too much of like, oh, the FBI is the hero in this movie. Yeah. And the truth is, is the FBI is not the hero because no. these people were not even brought to justice, yeah. even though they were arrested. That's true. These people were not brought to justice. And we find out in the end that they walk free yeah. afterwards and yeah. live these whole lives. And these people should have been thrown under the fucking jail. <laughs> exactly. I, I uh, man, that FBI aspect, I, I, I really agree with it too, because it's like this weird sense of, and I've complained about it in recent movies, um, FBI, CIA, this, this glorification of it, uh, yeah. in, in modern action movies, which I fucking hate, because it's, it's such a typical story. Even if you, look, I, well, let's be honest, it's a corrupt system, yeah. <laughs> like, but even if you take that part away, it's just so much. You see it all the fucking yeah. time with the NCIS bullshit. So I'm so glad that they went with this aspect of it, of just showing them their their uh, their true nature. And what was cool here about the FBI is that even though it's a, like you said, the FBI is like a almost a trope in film now. Yeah, coming in and saving the day. Right. But it's like this is like the origins of the FBI. Like That's the true. FBI was basically formed to work on this case. Yeah. And it's one of the first cases the FBI ever worked on in American <sighs> history. Holy fuck! Which man. is like, and you get that two hours into this film, right? It's unbelievable. Because that's another thing, too, about it is that, like, for a movie that's, like, what, three and a half hours long, it doesn't feel like that at all. I want to address the runtime because yeah. I keep seeing the, the headlines. Same here, man. Every <laughs> time I see people talking about it, it's the runtime, the runtime, three and a half hours. Listen, Avatar Way of Water is 14 minutes shorter than this movie. It is. You had that time for blue people. You don't have that time for Martin fucking Scorsese. <laughs> Like, if you're going to trust anybody with that runtime, you don't have an extra 15 minutes for Marty? Come on. I know. He's the greatest director of all time. For for me, when it comes to runtime, I, I look at it as if it if it warrants it, then it warrants it. This movie fucking warranted it. Dude, I would have wanted to see 30 more minutes. If this movie had pacing issues, fine. But it just it doesn't. It doesn't for me. No. And it's like the runtime seems to be the biggest thing where people are split on, but... Everybody kind of agrees from what I see that the pacing is phenomenal. Yeah. And you're incredibly immersed. So what's the problem? I think it's more of a reflection of audience uh, attention, span? attention span oh, nowadays yeah. than than anything. Because there's actually been lots of three-hour movies that came out this year. Absolutely. Uh, Oppenheimer was one. Avatar we just discussed. Like, there's so, uh, The fucking Avengers movie Endgame was three hours long. And that's like a hodgepodge of action scenes. Right. It's this, like for this, I don't, I don't, I don't care if it's three and a half hours long. It's a great film. Yeah. And it, it, and you can't say, I don't think anybody could say, Oh yeah, I could have cut an hour out of that film. Get the fuck out fuck of here. Fuck No, you couldn't. Have what cut are you an hour cutting out of, out of this? There's no fat in this. <laughs> every, film. every scene has a reason for it to be there because it comes back at the end of the movie. You need to have that pacing to understand why these characters are who they are and their downfall. Yeah. You need to see Leo's fucking downfall. And the only way to see that is to showcase his his love, his relationship, his children, everything yeah. like that. Because once you see all that, that fucking last shot with him and his uh, wife leaving, walking away from him, that hits way fucking yeah. harder. Yeah. This story hits hard because we see 
all this unfold, we see the every single plot to kill these people. Like, yeah. We see it unfold slowly, and we see how the family dynamic changed with Leo getting more involved in the family, but yeah. also getting more roped in with his uncle. Yeah. And there's so much dynamics that plays out, that, that has to play out the way it does for, for it to hit in the end, for it to be feel impactful. Yeah. Uh, this is stuff you can't gloss over. This is um, this is his most complex and, and and darkest film he's ever made. He's, yeah. This is this is pretty. I I I would have said depressing, but the more I think about it, I I know other films that he's worked on that are more depressing. This is more disturbing. Yes, I would say it's more disturbing how they illustrate various characters' death is a lot more disturbing. And that's the thing about trailers too, because I think we talked about it briefly right after we saw the film. The trailers for this movie are like very action. Yeah. In terms of, which I understand, you got to sell this movie. Apple TV's probably looking at this, right. costs a hundred million dollars and they're like, okay, we got to make some money for this because that's yeah. their mindset. So we're going to make this boom, boom, boom. But it's not. This movie is not that. It, it has moments of action in it, like intensity, but for the most part, it's showcasing these characters. Yeah, like, it's a character study, yes. and it's a slow burn. Yeah, and yeah, it's long. And I just, I hate that the runtime will be the reason a lot of people don't go see this movie. Yeah, and it's like, if you're willing to give an extra half hour than a regular movie, right. like you could have got an incredible experience. Like I, I hate that there's people out there that the runtime is like the the no, I won't see it. If you can watch a whole fucking series binge watching on Netflix and Amazon, you can sit through a three and a right, half hour for long. Sure. We've talked about this before. Yeah. We've talked about it so many times. It's like uh, back in the day, like 50 years ago, you could get away with a three and a half hour long film, get it funded by a major studio, and it wouldn't be an issue. If anything, I want more films like this to come out um, because it shows your patience for it. It shows your dedication. You're subscribed to this, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to trust this filmmaker in giving me four hours of a movie, let's yeah. see what they have to show me. Yeah. You know, it's that trust that you got to give. But a lot of people, <laughs> they'd rather uh, go on TikTok and <laughs> watch this part in these parts. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's dive into the performances here. Absolutely. Because, man, there's a lot of performances I really like here. Uh, personally, I think this is a, one of DiCaprio's best performances. Oh, absolutely. I'm leaning towards like a top three, top five DiCaprio performance. I would say top um, three, yeah. It's a really nuanced um, performance. It's not uh, nothing too different from, like I feel like we've gotten similar role from DiCaprio before. Yes. With like the accent and the, you know. Oh yeah, that whole Southern accent. Yeah, we've gotten Southern yeah. DiCaprio before. Yeah, yeah. But it's the nuance of like him loving his wife kind of like you kind of believe that yes. he does love his wife yeah but also he's like such an idiot and he's getting oh, yeah. like roped he his uncle has this like stronghold on him yeah and really all like the root of it all is like he just wants to impress his like uncle yeah and and gets roped into these things because of it so obviously he's his character Ernest is an absolute piece of shit yes but there's moments where you feel for him mm -hmm. and he he's like we talked about this i think uh after we watched it it's like he uh, scorsese just knows how to make interesting pieces of shit absolutely i mean i think yeah we talked about how like you know leonardo dicaprio and robert de niro doing what they do best in a scorsese film playing pieces of shit yeah <laughs> cuz they do a great job at it and and it's it's not that 
Look, I get like the the weirdness of that sa- saying, but it's like you see movies that they played people who have murdered, who have killed, yeah. who have done all these terrible things, but you love watching it. Why do we love watching these sorts of things? It's because there's always a rise and there's always a fall from all these characters. Casino, yeah. Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street, like those are the main Scorsese films. Um, and then you get to this film, and even Irishman has this like post like subgenre that Scorsese has done and shows like a harsher reality of like, yeah, this is this is what fucking happened. Yeah, that one this hits what led to the it. end of Irishman hits hits really hard and yeah. it's quite dark. But I mean, compared to this, is, is Sunshine and Rainbows, to be honest. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I I would say like this this film is more just like showing a side of history that not a lot of people have seen. It's yeah. it's to me like I, I was not aware of like the Osage First Nations no, and I their history well. behind this. And it was really nice to see that. I feel like in cinema, we don't see a lot of First Nation, indigenous cinema as much. Or if you have, it doesn't get brought up um, yeah. within a lot of mainstream films, which kind of sucks because, you know, in Canada, like we have NFB, we have a lot of films that fund those types of films. Yeah. So it is nice to see like a big film. Sorry, I said $100 million. This cost $200 million. $200 million. Yo, fucking A to that. They put the money where it was like in terms and of it, quality. And it shows, man. Yeah. It shows in the sets. It shows in these big, beautiful, wide shots that Scorsese is able to do f- that are full of life and look yeah. extremely lived in. Th- that $200 million was $200 million well spent. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because Scorsese was so passionate about telling the story yeah. that he really made that money stretch, and, and it shows. Absolutely. It is nice, too, that Apple uh, TV... It, it was weird seeing their fucking logo in theaters. I was mm-hmm. like, what the fuck, man? But, it was weird, yeah. <laughs> fuck it, whatever. We but, get to see a Scorsese film in, in theaters that is hey. a worldwide release, because they made a big deal out of that, too. It was going to be just select theaters like Irishman, oh. which I, I couldn't fucking see Irishman in theaters because yeah, of that. I'm I like, know. There's they're not showing it anywhere, but luckily this film was able to. So if if we get to see more Scorsese films in theaters because of this, um, that that Amen. is a, yet another positive. Amen. Shout out to Apple for that. Yeah. Um, the other performances, De Niro. I think this is his best performance in twenty years. Twenty years. De Niro's had some good performances. I will always look at The Irishman as like. You think I th- personally? I thought this was a better performance than Irishman. I think it's because of the fact that I I, I like. Uh, depressing, sad De Niro over maniacal De Niro. Yeah. But in all fairness, like his evilness is shown so evidently in this film, and it's so creepy. Yeah. It's so and I, disturbing. And I also think he he steals most of the scenes that he's in at his age. He like yeah. he still has this absolute presence, and he's not just like. I'm I'm just so glad to not see him as the old grandpa character <laughs> in a comedy and shit. It's like what? you wish Marty could make a movie every year so we don't have to watch movies like my fucking Bad Grandpa or whatever. Bad Grandpa, Dirty <laughs> Grandpa, my f- uh, battle with Grandpa. I don't know. He's been doing a lot. I saw him in that uh, Sebastian Maniscalco. Oh yeah, where he plays his dad. Right? Hey, I'm an Italian dad. <laughs> don't mess with me. And Sebastian Maniscalco is like, yep, that's my dad. It's like you know, the last couple of years, yeah. you kind of forget not not forget you never forget how good De Niro is but you just haven't seen him in a role like this other than Irishman I'd say yeah and he reminds you here that yeah he's older but man he still fucking got it he's got it because of the fact that him and Martin Scorsese have worked together for 50 years yeah 50 10, 10 years. films I believe 10 films 50 years these went from Mean Streets to this film and it, it shows Christ. how well they know each other because of uh, how great of a performance it is you know from him 
But in terms of like uh, other performances, the one that really stood out to me was Lily Gladstone. 100%. I mean, she she fucking nailed every scene. I feel like a lot of actors have this impression that like. Oh, if you're acting with another big name actor that's like bigger and more popular than you, then it's very like intimidating. Yeah. But for her, it's just like it, it. It never felt like that. No, she's amazing. I, I love the the early stuff when she establishes like her character and her building the relationship with Leo. I think right. that that part is cool. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, she's for seventy five percent of this film, she's yeah. either dying or grieving. That's that's a nightmare of a role to play. And she does it very convincingly. That's another thing, too, I would like to uh, point out. Um, I I do have some criticism about this film, the more I think about it. Because I I think after both of us, we saw the film, three and a half hour long film, Martin Scorsese, dealing with very disturbing, messed up subject matter. We're going to be thinking about this. Oh, man. We're going to be thinking about this for a while. I can't stop. I can't stop. (laughs) I'm going to see it again Wednesday. I can't stop thinking about it. Fucking A, man. Um, But the the one thing I would have wanted to see more of was the Osage community and Lily Gladstone's perspective, in my opinion. And I remember watching an interview. uh, I forgot his name, but he was uh, helping out on set. I think he was the interpreter. Uh, for the Osage uh, First Nations people while the movie was being made. Mm-hmm. And he gave a really interesting insight of it. He was very respectful of Marty's decision to showcase it from uh, DiCaprio's perspective. Yeah. But because of that, you're not really seeing the true love nature of it because of the fact that he is, in fact, a piece of shit, which is, we can go into that later. But another thing he it explained was he wanted to see more of the Osage perspective because of the fact that they are very... Uh, important in this film, which I fully agree. But yeah. he also says in it, which it made me think about it too, it's like, well, if you're going to have more of the perspective of the Osage community and it's just about them, would it be just better to have a filmmaker who has that background? Which I agree with. I, I feel like, you know, uh, Martin Scorsese, if he knows something, he knows how to showcase characters like these with flaws yeah. and show their rise and fall. Yeah, the the rise and fall is Martin Scorsese. Yeah. In a nutshell, his best films mm-hmm. are these these stories that immerse you in this world and want you, and you almost to the point where you almost want to be in this world and then show you how fucked up the repercussions actually are. Yes. And it's how it's Goodfellas, it's Irishman, it's yeah. it's it's this film as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I think to do that story, you need it to center around Leo and De Niro. No, yeah, for sure. It, it is nice, though. I mean, like, in a perfect, like, for me, like, to make this film even better for me, at least, I would have wanted to see more of Lily Gladstone. I would have wanted yeah. to see more of the Osage community. And, hey, I'm fine with watching an extra 30, an hour long movie. I don't care because this pacing fucking works. I wonder how much is cut. Not a whole lot. Scorsese's not really known for like cutting a lot mm-hmm. of shit. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think Thelma uh uh Thelma Shoemaker, uh, she edited this film as well. She's edited a bunch of Scorsese's films. So it's like it's she's also involved in it too. So I'm I'm curious as to like what did they cut down? Like I wonder if there was more Lily Gladstone. I do I do kind of agree that in I the think second would, half mostly it'd be cool to see more Lily Gladstone for sure. Yeah. I mean when you see her like if she's either getting news that one of her family members just right? passed away. Jesus fucking Christ. She's fucking dying from yeah. her husband literally fucking poisoning her every day. Yep. It's it's a nightmare of a role for her, and but she does it so well, mm-hmm. and it's so believable. And 
even in those scenes where she's like dying or grieving, you still see that love for Leo, which makes the story all that more tragic. Yeah. Well, that's another interesting thing too, like going back to their relationship in this movie. A lot of people looking at it as like, yeah, this is true love, even with the intensity, the disturbing, like the fucked up moments around them, surrounding them. But for me, I think it was more of DiCaprio's uh, psychological aspects of himself being like thinking that he's in love with her so much, despite the fact that he's doing so many terrible things around her. Yeah. That he's not only corrupting his self, but he's corrupting the relationship so much that it's like, is this even a Romeo and Juliet? I don't think so. I no. think it shows a, a person abusing his wife for so many years and then like the last moment when she's like, oh, you told everything? You told the truth about everything? Yeah, what about the insulin? And then you cut to uh, DiCaprio and he's just like, he's broken. Yeah, You broke him. He's a broken man and he will be a broken man for the rest of his life until he dies. Doesn't he uh, die in prison? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And and that's the thing too. Well, it's no, like, actually, I don't think he dies in prison. I think he gets released. He gets released. And then but, he ends up living. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yo, you're right. He says Sorry. he ends up living in like a trailer. Yes. And just getting drunk for the rest of yeah, his yeah, days. Yeah. That's true. Which again, which is just as tragic. Just as tragic, <laughs> dude. Nobody doesn't. He doesn't deserve a fucking happy ending. De Niro's no, character. Not. De Niro's character was even more fucked up in terms of just getting released and uh, just getting released and living out the rest of his days. Yeah. And I'm sure still having money and shit. Oh like, yeah, just like living. The power's still there within him. Yeah. And, uh, oh my god. And man, it, you can like see the real pictures of this guy, and he had the same fucking glasses and the same fucking hats that De Niro wears, and you're just like, wow, this is a real man. This yeah. what a nasty guy. Yeah. Like, unbelievable, this film. A lot of those people, uh, and it's subtle, too, a lot of character actors giving off that energy of just, like, there's something in them that's, like, maniacal. Like, yeah. they have, they're hiding something. And it's, like De Niro said, it's like, you know, if people are hiding something from you, you can hide something from them. It's like, ooh! Yeah. Holy and fuck. When you look into the history of the, of the true story, it's like, every, like, almost all the, like, white people that lived in this town yeah. were all almost kind of in on it. If they weren't mm. in on the murders, they were in on turning up, like looking up, turning away, like looking a blind eye yeah. at these murders and not looking into them and, you know, letting and, them get away with this shit. And when they were somewhat vocal because they couldn't handle it anymore, uh, they were not alive. For they too were, long. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so out of fear, they, they all kind of were complicit in letting this shit happen. Mm -hmm. um, cast, I want to talk about the supporting cast a little bit more. Go for it. Because, wow, this has some great character actors. Like you said, absolutely. Um, we get Jesse Plemons two hours in, yep. and we need to give Jesse Plemons his flowers. This motherfucker don't miss. He doesn't. He doesn't miss. He's great in everything I see him in. Yeah, and I think he's he's at that point. Give him the starring role in something. Yeah, I really do think he is, man. He's grinded these supporting roles to perfection for fucking years. Yeah, I I fully agree. This guy has been. I mean, even what was his earliest role? Breaking Bad as Todd. Right. So like you get you get a role like that and then you see him in every other thing that's like film related. And it's like he doesn't get typecast as that. No. Because that character is nothing like this character. And I've seen him in various other movies and he's amazing in it too. So yeah, I fucking, fucking agree with that. He's, he's great in this movie. He brings this confidence. He even brings this comedy at times. 
Like I love that scene where he, him, and Leo are at. He's he's knocking on Leo's door. Oh my god! And he's, <laughs> he knows he's like, something's here, fucked up. He's like, I'm here to see about the murders. And Ernest goes, "What about them?" <laughs> he's like, well, "Who did them? Who did them?" Yeah. <laughs> he was wondering. And then, like after Leo's like, "All right, get out of my fucking house or whatever," he's like, "Okay." That's another point. It's like. This film finds, like, this is one of the most tragic, nasty stories I've ever seen on film. Yeah. But it finds moments, uh, you know, I feel like Scorsese finds these perfect moments to add in some comedy. And somewhat lighten the situation, but not take away from the severity of it and never feels distasteful. But there is funny. We laughed a couple of times. Oh, yeah. It's very dark humor in terms of, like, I, I always think about that one shot. Like, like you said, very documentarian with the shots where uh, DiCaprio, right after the FBI gets him, he runs to De Niro at a fucking event. He's like, they know, they know something. And De Niro is like telling him to shut the fuck up because yeah. they are watching him. And it's like this great moment. It reminds me of like a, my God, it reminds me of like a Goodfellas moment with him and Leota. Yes. You know, back in the day. And uh, it is nice seeing DiCaprio and De Niro act amongst themselves like in a scene together because... Scorsese's worked with both of them a good amount of times. Yeah. You know, De Niro was, of course, his first, and then DiCaprio was more in the 2000s. He started working with him more often, and it's nice seeing that dynamic because you never see DiCaprio as, like, the the role model in this scenario. It's all it's De Niro is the father figure. DiCaprio yeah. is, like, the son to him, and it's showing that, and uh, fuck. It's beautiful to see them act together. I think that it's one of the main reasons that this movie will age like fine wine Yeah, because you know, we have them both here now, but it's like in the future, you never know. And this yeah. is forever on film. Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro, two of the best actors yeah. of all time mm-hmm. working together in a Martin Scorsese picture. And yeah. it'll be watched in a hundred years. I feel like it's one of those movies. I want to, I want to say another uh, supporting actor that really fucking worked. Would have wanted to see a little bit more of him, but the, but the parts that he is in, oh, he fucking owns it. Um, it's your boy. Well, I'm oh. gonna say I'm gonna say two then. Okay. I'm gonna <laughs> say the obvious one, question. Brendan Fraser, yeah. who has like two fucking amazing scenes. He has one in the court <laughs> yes, where I'm gonna be honest, when he's starting the yelling and stuff like that, it felt like a Coen Brothers movie, oh, man. Man, I wanted he's more. He's like, this man is he's I'm representing him too. And it's like, you can't represent both. I wanted more out of that courtroom. Oh my uh, god. The courtroom scenes yeah. fucking they uh they fucking worked. They were disturbing, they were entertaining, they were very very intense very i can't i can't describe it more but he has a scene in there and he has a scene with dicaprio where he's like you dumb boy yeah fucking like treating him like a like a child and it's like he he was like the saul goodman of this scenario yes he was um so good on good on brendan fraser for that but there was another supporting actor that i want to talk about briefly the actor's name is uh, tatanka means he plays john wren one of the fbi guys yeah um, he probably gives my favorite line in this movie and it's, it lingers cause it's at the part with the fire. Okay. And he's talking about how a lot of these cases, it's like, you know, <laughs> you're more likely to arrest this man killing a dog than killing a native. Like, let's be honest guys. Yeah. And he says that so like nonchalantly. And that's yeah. the one that like, if you get something out of this film, that line kind of yeah, represents. he does say it so nonchalantly, Boy. and it speaks to the mindset of these people. Because all every time they talk about when they're planning these crimes, like the yeah. air and stuff, they speak as if they're speaking about, oh, we're making plans to go have coffee next week. 
Yeah. They, they don't, there's no, it's just like, oh yeah, just tell them like, it's time for him to do the job. Do the job, yeah. That's You're going to have to do this. It's like uh, fucking. You, like, you know, we have to slow down your wife, right? You know, we have to start poisoning her, right? Like, yeah. You, you know that. Like, yeah. This is how the lines are delivered. And you're like, wow, these sick sons of bitches. Yeah. Cause they describe, <laughs> it's, it's literally just like insurance. It's like, okay, well, you know, I get the insurance and I got to do this. It's like, it's like fucking doing errands yeah. and people are dying and they're just like, yeah, cause that's another thing to look at from De Niro's character is how long has he been doing this for? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know historically, but the way he says it so nonchalantly, you have this assumption that it's just like, oh, he's been doing this for like decades. Yes. Like there's gotta be like, you can't be this fucking relaxed yeah. about it. And, and he knows their history so well in the beginning, yes. when he's giving the less, the history lesson to Leo and gives him yep. that book. Yeah. And I love that sequence because that's the best way to do exposition. Leo is like reading this book yeah. and then you're cutting to like some of the history and it, you know, he's reading it out to us in a way that doesn't feel like uh, exposition. It's fantastic. An another thing about Leo's performance, which I agree with, I think he works better in this role than he would if he was Jesse Plemons' role. Well, yeah. I think it's because of the fact that DiCaprio has this weird like performance of he can play like a Rick Dalton. Yeah. But he can also play like an everyday like worker, which he looks like at the beginning of the movie. He's yes. got the fucked up teeth. He's 100%. got the hair and stuff like that. I'm yeah. like, yeah, I can't see Brad Pitt doing that. No. I can't see Gosling doing that. It feels like DiCaprio has that like impression That's of like, true. I can play like that dumb, like. He could play the star, but he could also play the everyday man. And it's yeah. really rare. And you see that contrast of him like with no money versus he's got that cowboy hat. He looks like fucking Rick Dalton. It's and really I'm like, what the like, hell? Yeah, you fuck up his teeth and you change his hair a little bit. And he's like the other everyday man. But uh, I know we're a little short on time. So I want to oh, get to the ending. Okay. Because the ending to me is the most memorable part of this film. It is. I think it did something that I've never seen before. Um, and it really made a lot of biopics with the black screen endings put yes. it, put it, put them to absolute shame. Yep. Because what happens here is that we just cut to like 1960s kind of era. Probably 60s, like. 50s, yeah. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. Yeah. And to me, this scene is just like a commentary on everything. It's a social mm. commentary in itself because they're doing like this true crime live. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how to explain that. It's like, like a radio show, like a radio like, live radio show yeah. where they're telling the story of the Osage mm -hmm. and they're putting these wacky sound effects in it. And to me, that's the commentary because it reflects what De Niro says when he's going to prison, what he says to Leo. Yeah. He says in a couple of years, ah, you know, it looks like a big deal now, yeah. but in a couple of years, they won't care. Yeah. And ultimately that is what happens for his character. He ends up being free. Yeah. And ultimately they don't care because that's the way this story is told. This story ends up being told for entertainment on a, on yeah. a true crime, like radio show yeah. and is not told with the severity that it should be told. Mm -hmm. And that's why it gets lost in history, I think. Yeah. Another thing, too, like, about that scene that really worked was when you saw Scorsese. And Marty having the last line of this film come out of his own mouth. Do you know how fucking confident you have to be? It's gangster as, as a director. It's gangster as fuck. <laughs> to have yourself in this movie with the subject matter that you're putting on. And it's just like... <sighs> You have to be confident. You yeah. have to have that sincerity and everything like that. It's either all or nothing. But type it 100% had it. Yes. And I think it brings back and shows um, 
how near and dear this project was to his heart yes. for him to have the last line and come out and read like that. Yeah. And the line, the last line he reads was, was that in her obituary, it, the murders were not mentioned, Yep. which is like the, one of the most fucked up parts yep. is like that they kind of gloss it over. Mm-hmm. And for him to be reading that line, I think shows the reverence and respect that he has for the Osage mm-hmm. and the reverence and respect that he had to, and, how important he felt this story was to be told in the right way. Yeah. And, and that's what makes this film a masterpiece, a five out of five for me. Five this out is, of five for you? This is uh, the first five out of five film I've given it off a theater reaction. Oh, man. Uh, since, we started Real, since we've been on Real Talk together. Yeah. The last five-star film I gave was from our 70s episode when I watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That's a good one. To me, this is a five-star masterpiece. I don't think it's the most rewatchable film in Scorsese's filmography mm-hmm. at all because this film is fucking depressing. It is. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to see it again on Wednesday. I'm going to be depressed as fuck, and I probably won't watch this film for a while Yeah. because it really sticks with you. I drove home from the theater in absolute silence, Yeah. and I've been thinking about this movie like every hour since. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's his most rewatchable, but I think from a cinematography standpoint, from a, like the writing, the acting, it's a masterclass in so much. And for Scorsese to be doing this at 80 years old, it's like, man, you're just flexing at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of positives as well with it. Uh, do I, do I think it's Scorsese's like best film he's made? In the 2000s, I mean, it's Scorsese. He's hit so many fucking times. Of I, course, you he's can't, hit so many times. It's so you know what's harder? It's harder to find a Scorsese Scorsese film you don't like. Yeah, because of that, he's yeah. putting so much passion into it. I'm looking back and I'm processing it still. For me, I'm probably going to give this a four out of five, so eight out of ten. I I think The Irishman is a little bit more depressing. I really like that like sad aspect of loneliness. This one, on the other hand, is showcasing something that a lot of people don't know about. And I think, like, Scorsese did a great fucking job in showing that, in teaching people about this history that nobody has heard of, despite the fact that we know so much about post-colonialism already in history. It's fucking a breath of fresh air to see a different aspect of it in cinema that's, like, this important. It is important. It is important to tell these fucking stories. And if anything... It's uh, extremely important and and relevant because, like, things like, you know, we're, like, even in Canada with the, like, residential schools. Yes. And, like, this stuff is being uncovered still today. It's, like, it's still incredibly relevant even though this story takes place mostly in the 20s. Yeah. And it's, like, we're talking about 100 years ago. 100 years, yeah. Like, and and a lot of this stuff rings true, which is unbelievable. It's it's hard-hitting. It's emotional. It... It tackles all the subject matter in a very respectful and professional way. And uh, yeah, what can I say? It's a Scorsese film in theaters. Watch it like ASAP. It's an absolute must-watch film. Uh, th- that's that's the most I could say is please go see this film. Please don't be discouraged by this runtime. No. Uh, go watch it. And uh, I think th- there's going to be something you like in it for sure. Absolutely. Fully agree. We'll end it off there. Thank you for watching this episode of the Real Talk Podcast. I would love to hear your review of Killers of the Flower Moon in the comments. Please let us know. Don't forget to leave a like, comment, and subscribe to your boys. We'll catch you in the next one. Take care. Brush your hair. Peace.